Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 92. The Pacific Northwest has reawakened, and the final event of the WSL Challenger Series at the North Shore's Haleiwa will commence on Friday, November 26th, determining the final men's and women's qualifiers for the 2022 Championship Tour season. The event will be webcast live on worldsurfleague.com. Do not miss it. In the interim, however, the free surfing gods have smiled upon us. Last week, Australian auteur Justin Gain released Repulse on Vimeo, his follow-up to 1990s productions of Pulse and Pulse 2, which featured Australia's answer to the momentum generation in America. And today, Logan Doolian released Snapped 4 on YouTube, showcasing an international crop of up-and-coming talents. Both films feature high-performance surfers, past, present, and future, and they're definitely worth a check out while we wait for the showdown in Haleiwa. All right, episode 92. Please enjoy the lineup's conversation with The Break Room. The good old clap, take one. That's right. <laughs> How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? You can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave, get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. <laughs> All right, we are back for break room installment number five. And we're joined once again by Lindsay Volk, Kim Hogan, Dan Willen, Hendo Bayer, and this episode's special guest, the WSL's very own Alejandra Belalcazar. Welcome, Alejandra. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Thanks, everybody. Uh, I don't know what I was expecting post uh, Rip Curl WSL finals, but it, it would have been like a version of an off season. Um, has not been the case for me. I'm curious to know if, if everyone else has experienced the same issue of like, it feels like there's maybe more work now that we don't have uh, CTs happening. Is that fair to say? Does anyone feel differently? I feel like the off season is always hectic, at least since I started here. We always end and then ramp right back up into kicking off the season. So I've never really felt the effect of an off of an off period. It's always been kind of on for us internally. Yeah, ending the finals and then someone was like, oh, the U.S. Open's in like 10 days or something. And I was like, what? <laughs> so the Challenger Series has been giving us some work, but also our team in creative marketing it's just been working on next season i feel like this season was kind of like all over the place so we didn't get to plan as much just with all the cancellations and changes and stuff but now we know the set schedule and there's some big changes coming so got to get ready for 2022 it's close with the holidays it's like very close <laughs> scary close I would say as far as my event work goes that has significantly slowed down but with uh the new role here at the lineup i've been nicely busy and i've been enjoying my ride here with dave so it's definitely been a lot of good work and having a good time 
What about you full-timers at the office? You know, it's one of those things that I I think Dan and Kim brought up good points where it's been busy because the events have kind of trucked on in terms of the Challenger series. But I always kind of bemoaned the the actual off-season and particularly sort of 2020 when it was a COVID year because is a company that has been working on trying to kind of refocus its identity and stabilize what actual product offering is to the world. When those products are not happening right in front of the company's face, like events or crowning world champs or the world's best surfing, it's this chaotic time of like innovation and ideation, which Mm -hmm. is like radically exhausting. So I do think it could be worse, but it is one of those things where it's like the stabler we can get with our properties and our products, I think the better for everybody inside and outside the building. Alejandra, you've just kind of started, right? How long have you been with us at the WSL? Uh, it's only been a month. It's only been a month since I started at the company. So, and I started, it's the first time I onboard into a company remote. Mm. Um, so that's been a complete new adventure for me. <laughs> but I'm, I'm really happy that I was able to meet everybody online. Uh, that's an advantage. But yes, I I feel that since August, I've just been all over the place trying to understand a lot of our projects and our campaign for next year. So I've had a lot of catching up to do. Well, I'm going to I'm going to pick on you just for a second, because everyone uh, we are in our fifth installment of the break room. So we've kind of all contextualized our different roles as best we can. But since you are new, can you give the listeners just a little bit of background of where you came from, any kind of previous experience in surfing, what your actual job is? And even for our listeners, a lot of them probably don't have a firm grasp on what WSL Pure is. So maybe just a little bit about that, too. Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Alejandra. I'm originally from Colombia. I moved to San Diego when I was a teenager, and that's when I started surfing. And I've always had a fascination for water. And I think I've had a couple of near drowning experiences throughout my life, and they've been very comical. And that just like kept me going back to the ocean for more. And I just love watching people surf. So I just study moves and then try to replicate those and mirror them um, in the water. Um, So my background is in urban planning and sustainable development. um, And I've always worked at nonprofits. So I've worked in environmental planning and I've helped organizations develop goals and strategies to mitigate um, their environmental impact. So I think I've I've been pretty lucky that I have landed in great organizations that have been at the forefront of, of developing Um, conservation strategies. And these have all been rooted in community-based, in a community-based approach where you really kind of like give and take and you learn from different communities and what different solutions are for different places. So um, I think this is where my two passions intersect and it's environmental and social responsibility aspects of my role. That's good. Ba- that's good background. Do you? I'd imagine that you kind of track the surfing scene in Colombia. Like, what, what's it like down there in terms of you know young men, young women coming up um, performance wise? Do you think we'll see someone from Colombia kind of take a crack at the championship tour in the near future? I hope so. Yes. There's. I mean, you have a whole continent that's whose coast is the whole Pacific. So just imagine there's 14 countries in Latin America. And there's a good amount of coast down there. And I, I just think there is, I think there's already a champ out there. We just haven't seen him. And there's a lot of up and coming talent and, and young folks, especially I think 
there's one specific group of folks on the Caribbean side of Colombia, and they're actually First Nation kids that start surfing, and they just rip, and they're so much fun to watch. So yeah, yes, there's a lot of good surf. There's a fervor to like get out there, and and a lot of the countries, I think specifically in Colombia, the the communities do their own contest, and they all like chip in to help kids get excited about surfing and. I mean, they don't need help to get excited about surfing. They need opportunity to get out there and compete. So yes, for sure. I think that next champ is already out there. We just got to check him out. I love it. Well, we're, we're very fortunate to have you and we'll probably add like Columbia specific scout for talent coming out of the, the country moving forward. But, you know, one of the things I think Dan mentioned is that we rolled right into the Challenger Series following the Rip Curl WSL finals. We had the US Open, we had the Mayo Vizla Aracera uh, Pro in Portugal, and then the Quicksilver and Roxy Pro in France. Question for the group, uh, European timelines, did, did everyone stay up and watch the entirety of the European Challenger Series leg, um, all whatever it was, 18 days worth between Portugal and France? Uh, I hate to say it, but... No, I'll be uh, honest, it's fine. Of yeah. course, Dave, Yes, of good. Course. Good work, Dan. Yeah. Uh, it didn't align with my sleep schedule, unfortunately. So uh, despite what I said last time, I watched a few heats, I watched the highlights, and that was great, but I didn't watch as much as I should have or wanted to originally, unfortunately. It's interesting because I was talking to uh, Travis Logie, who is in the Tours and Competition office. He was formerly on tour uh, for a number of years from South Africa. He's a great surfer. And we kind of joke that he's got a bit of a hex on him because anytime we send him to an event, CT or, or whatever by himself, the waves don't often turn up. But um, he also sort of said, look, like these Challenger Series events run at like so many more days than a championship tour event. So if you're going to Aracera, yes, it's a world-class wave, but it's there's so many tides you have to surf through. There's so much maybe potentially like slow days in terms of swell. And similarly with France, where like the tidal coefficient could be like 14 feet. So they really had to grind through. And uh, in Portugal, we saw former CT surfer and the ultimate surfer, Ezekiel Lau and a fellow Hawaiian, Luana Silva, win that event. And in France, we saw uh, former CT surfer, Kano O'Leary and Brisa Hennessy uh, win that event. Going back to the design question, I think this relates to Colombia and Alejandro as well, where the idea right behind our new three-tier system is to have a really broad base of regional events filtering up sort of opportunity for, for surfers from different regions into this Challenger series and I think, you know, even though COVID's sort of a unique year, like the design is kind of working. You have someone like Brisa Hennessy who fell off of the championship tour after Mexico, went on to the Challenger Series, has already done so well that she's locked in her qualification for the 22 championship tour, and she doesn't miss a season. So I, th I, I do think parts of it are working. Are there any kind of other observations or thoughts or even challenges to that rose-colored lens version of the Challenger Series right now? Yeah, not to be too positive about it all, but it does like the selling point of the whole thing with the former CT stars and this up and coming generation kind of battling it out is like really happening. Like you got the Zeeks and the Breezes like crushing it, already qualified. Also like Nat Young's in there, Connor O'Leary's in there, Coco's like just outside. And then you have all these young um, up and comers like whether it's Jake Marshall or Luana Silva. Or, it's just really cool to see them going at it. And it's cool to see like a lot of the young surfers going really far and kind of like I don't know if it definitely feels like they're taking their place it doesn't feel like they're racking up points in this long tour of 1000s where you get 700 here and 500 here and at the end of the season you're like 
12th. It seems like with this kind of condensed thing, they're winning it. You know, they're earning their spot, like without a doubt, like they deserve to be here. And it, it's still fun to see some old names come back. But yeah, I kind of feel like the whole premise is is playing out as as expected. Yeah, and I mean, if you take a look at the rankings right now, we still have one event to go in Haleva. At the moment, between the men and the women, you'd have a combined rookie class of 12 surfers, which, wild. which is pretty big, like comparatively. And um, I think it's great. I think, it, I think that infusion of new names is really good for uh, the championship tour because we've seen kind of a cycling of surfers who've been around for 10 or 15 years on both sides sort of stepping away um, in this last season. Yeah, and not to be not to bash on our CT people, but when I'm watching the events, I'm always rooting for them to lose, and I, it's like it's nothing against them. I just want to see the new people come up, and I want to have some new blood. and And now that like especially Kanoa or something who's already qualified, like I like just let let Zeke come up or let Nat Young or Connor Leary come back or somebody new. Like um, I like seeing them there because it's a good reference. Like a CT established surfer versus someone else. But I'm, I always find myself rooting against the guys who have already qualified for the CT or women. On the contrary, if they can beat these guys or girls in heats and they are succeeding, I mean, then I'll give them that boost of confidence when they need it, when they get to the CT and they'll go into the gates, like kind of like Morgs did with that confidence going into that year. Totally. And I mean, it, it is interesting too, and, and whether this remains the case or not, but specifically on the women's side, you've got some very young women um, that are currently in the top six. You know, Sawyer Lindblad and Caitlin Simmers in particular are just sort of in their mid teens. Surfing, we often say, even on this podcast, is a community obsessed with the cult of youth. But an ongoing topic, regardless of who we're talking to on the pod, is, is sort of, is that a good thing or not? And, and you know, Lindsay Kim, uh, on the women's side, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on just young women kind of qualifying for the elite level um, at that age, you know, in the, in the mid-teens? And whether, what are the pluses and minuses, if there are any? That's a super loaded question. I think that <laughs> I feel like I talked about this maybe last time or a couple of times ago, but the thing that stands out to me most is that you don't see any 15 year old boys, young men qualifying. These are all um, young women who are, like you said, super young. Like, I don't know what any of you guys were doing when you were 15, but I was not achieving great things. And so I think it's really notable and, you know, I don't know what it means, but I think that there is a certain level of maturity and sort of grit that you have to have in order to be doing anything at this level. Nevertheless, sort of, you know, I feel like Katie Simmers beat so, so, so many women who have been long established, even on CT. When I was watching the US Open, it was nuts. And I think in order to have that sort of mental fortitude when you're so young is an accomplishment in itself. But at the same time, I go like, oh, I hope you're having fun. And I hope you're also <laughs> able to be a kid because this is also the time when like you should be fucking up and like, you know, being a being a kid. So I guess those are how I see the sort of positives and negatives of it. Uh Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think that there's something to be said around it's sort of polarizing, like are the women and the men or like, you know, the young women and the young men approaching things differently? Is it like a psyche question? And I don't have the answer to that. But I think that, 
you know, the more dynamic part of it is sort of what Kim was saying, everything that comes out of it, you even think from a fandom perspective and it changes the conversation and it changes the landscape where if you're then another 15 year old girl, it's exciting to see that opportunity out there. But I totally agree. I think that this idea that they are just kids is so important. And so I think that that sort of on the industry to interpret and ensure that it's not being taken advantage of and trying to become, you know, too much of like a commercial opportunity. I don't, I think that that's something in all industries where you need to be conscious of what's the task at hand here and just like, let it be fun and let it be exciting. And as long as it's that, then it's this really powerful moment and it's extra special for everyone involved. It's an interesting way to look at it, you know, and I'm, I'm just sort of racking my brain on the men's side over the last several years, you know, the qualifiers in that 17 to 18 year range, Jeremy Flores, Adriana D'Souza, Kano Igarashi, Kaloe Indino, Gabriel Medina, Felipe Toledo, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing a few, but we're not talking like 14 and 15, we're talking like 17 and 18, which even then, like there was a whole process of they actually have to apply for an exemption to join the championship tour because they're not of age. And in all those cases, they've, they received their exemption to do it. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very, very tricky. Like 14, 15 seems really, really young. The, the comp on the women's side, I think, I think Caroline Marks uh, qualified at 16, maybe slightly younger. But she had a great network in terms of people around her and like a, like traveled with her family and they they went out of their way to take care of her. And yeah, it's tough. Like, I mean, I, I, I could speak for a lot of people in the surf industry um, who have confided this to me, not so much about these young women, but just in terms of young people in general, where they don't feel that collectively the surfing industrial complex is mature enough to take care of young people like in superstardom. And there's so many of them coming up. And to Lindsay's point, it is really, really appealing because these young people are often patched into new and exciting, you know, media exposure platforms, the social media and whatever else. And you look at someone like Sky Brown and she's getting a ton of attention and she's a marketing asset compared to someone who's like fully matured adult who maybe just doesn't have that kind of social media following. So it's this, it's this delicate balance. And I do think the WSL probably should have a role to play in it in terms of taking care of young talent if you're going to be having a platform where they come on there. I think that um, sort of an interesting parallel is we talk about, you know, the cultural roots of the sport, which of course has so many different across so many different cultures, et cetera, et cetera. But you specifically think of Hawaii and this idea of family there, it being so different than in a lot of cultures where everyone's an auntie and everyone's an uncle. And it's much more this idea of it takes a village to raise. It's really interesting to think about what sort of lessons could we learn if we leaned more into that idea and really you say like as our role at WSL, like what can we do? Could it be reinforcing this notion on tour that it is? It's that like village, it's that family. So that across all ages, it's more of this comforting environment, et cetera. Along those lines, Dave, like when you've seen really young people, like the ones you named, the guys maybe 17 or Caroline at 16 or something, when you see them qualify, when they get on tour, is there anyone who comes and kind of like takes them under their wing? Like, is there anyone that like, you pair someone with someone to be like, hey, follow this person around and like show them where to go and show them like it feels like you qualify, like say you're Caitlin Simmers or something and you're about to qualify in Hollywood or something and then you have to go surf pipe in like one month. 
Like that seems so overwhelming. Is there anyone that is there any way that you pair them with an older vet to kind of like show them the ropes, or is it up to them, doggy dog? Certainly not formally, you know. And I think in even in doing this podcast and talking to people that did the tour in the seventies and eighties and even the nineties, it was so doggy dog that even if you were qualifying as a young adult no one was looking out for your interests, right? Because you were there and there was only so much pie. And if you did well, it meant that someone didn't. And there was a ton of psychological warfare that happened outside the water and inside the water. And people are still traumatized by it. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that to kind of sensationalize surfing in that way. I just think it was really Wild West in those eras. I think it's gotten a lot better, but there is nothing formal in place. You know, I think when Adriano qualified, he tapped into the Brazilians on tour, who in some cases were 10 or 15 years older than him. And that was something he had to seek out. You know, I think that the the companies themselves in identifying talent, like Jeremy was part of the Quicksilver program, still is, patched into, you know, the sort of the higher ups at Quicksilver that that looked after him. That's not all necessarily there anymore. But it is, it's it's an interesting it's just an interesting thing to have to think about because no one wants to see someone struggle, um, especially someone that you want to elevate to the very top of your industry or sport. Um, and you want them to get there as healthy as possible, both physically and emotionally. And yeah, I, I just think it's something we all have to kind of consider moving forward. And I do think, and I, I don't know some of these young women that we're talking about on tour right now uh, that well, but but I am under the understanding that they have good kind of um, networks around them, both between their supporters uh, sponsor-wise as well as their families. But who knows? I mean, we may end up in a Taj Burrow situation where, you know, Taj qualified when he was, I think, 17 or 18 and said no. I think he said no because he didn't feel like his surfing was ready. But it's two things. Like, I think your point on pipeline's perfect. Like, just because you're on the Challenger Series as a mid-teen and beating championship tour surfers in certain conditions like being thrown to the lions in sort of the scariest wave on the planet for your first championship tour events, radical. <laughs> it's a radical thing to have to go through, even as an adult, let alone a teenager. I would say that I thought it was really cool when Italo was trying to get his first world title that he went, whether or not his sponsor helped or not, but he went out and reached out to um, Shane Dorian and he had helped him well, maybe that was the previous year, but one of those years. But guys reach out to Shane Dorian or Jamie O'Brien to get understanding of how to go surf pipe. And that's like kind of a bit of a mentorship where I feel like individuals, if they want it bad enough, they might have to take it upon themselves to go and get coaching like that. But it seems to have proven beneficial. For sure. I'm just curious if someone would do that to someone who is currently on tour. Like if I'm a young, if I just qualified, if I could go up to, I don't know. I guess Jeremy's gone, but someone like that and be like, hey. <laughs> Steph Gilmore out. or Carissa Moore are the right. ones yeah, on the exactly. women's side, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, I feel like Adriano de Sosa was a bit of, of that mentor for a lot of the folks from the Brazilian storm, watching his leadership and kind of taking everybody under his wing is really special. And I think he took that and like, not as a, I got to do this. He was like, I will lift you up and tell you what I know. And we can do this together. So I, I really appreciate that part. I know that sometimes when we compete, we want to keep some of our our strategies and things to ourselves. But I thought it was really humbling to see that somebody like Adriano was like, yeah, come on over. I'll take you under my wing, like the captain, you know. So totally. I thought that was really special. 
And and I can't let this pass without saying too, like like what he did to me was extra phenomenal because not only did he take the Brazilian storm under his wing and sort of usher the you know pave the way for someone like Gabriel to claim the first men's world title for South America, he he could have easily been relegated to like a footnote in Gabriel's story, but he came back and won his own world title the next year, which I. I struggle to understand the mental fortitude to be able to do that, and I think I think he's he's one of the great unsung sort of uh, heroes in surfing. And I think the last thing I'll say too, just on this topic, is I don't, you know, it it does seem like it's generational, like on the men's and women's side, that you know every five years or every ten years there is a group of performance shifting surfers that come along and supplant the world's best surfers that came before them. And that just might be what we're seeing on the women's side with these young women. And even some of the young women that aren't mentioned, you know, you're, um, I know Molly Picklum's sort of just outside the cut line. You've got Sierra Kerr, um, you know, uh, um, the young Ken, Kenworthy's like they're, they're all such good surfers and they're really shifting the performance level of women surfing across the board, which is why you're probably seeing younger surfers kind of come through and take bites out of that apple. I think just to qualify this conversation as well, it's interesting. I remember in your conversation with Kolohe, he was talking about um, surfing with Griffin and how the transition of that sort of like seeing, like surfing with him, beating him every time they're out in the water, et cetera, and then slowly realizing like, oh shit, he's really good. And then that dynamic of like, there's this competitive nature of, of course, you don't want to be beaten by all of the young kids. And so I thought it was, you know, interesting to have that and then go into the US Open where of course, like Chloe was competing too, and then Griffin won, but Chloe was one of the first guys to run out and chair him up on the beach. So there's this notion of like competitiveness and mentorship but then the parallels of where does the line get drawn when there's that age gap of someone actually being the child and should people do a little bit more? So like we're all for the competitiveness 100%. That's what makes it exciting. But it's what you're saying around like the due diligence sort of. Well, we have one more Challenger Series event to go and we're going to get to that. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break to get a word in from our sponsors. We'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. 
because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. So as we highlighted, you know, really the only story happening at surfing at this point is who's next? Who is next for the Elite Championship Tour field in 2022? And all of that will be decided at the upcoming Haleiwa Challenger Series event on the North Shore of Hawaii, which starts at the end of the month. And really everything's at stake. You've got 10,000 points on the line. You have these fields of surfers from around the globe that have been have been doing this sort of truncated season ahead of uh, 2022's full flighted Challenger Series. I think it's going to be stressful. Who here has actually been to Haleiwa or has actually been out and surfed it? Um, anyone, raise your hands and speak up. I've been quite a bit. I think 13 years for the, for the Triple Crown. And Kim, you raised your hand too. What was your impression? Oh yeah, I've of been Holly? once and I looked at it with my eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have not paddled out when it's any bigger than two foot Hawaiian, to be honest. And I always go left being a goofy. I have not surfed the right. And I certainly have not done a floater on that soup bowl section, which looks insane when it gets bigger than like four foot Hawaiian. Super challenging wave. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, and I, I, I can't really speak with a lot more authority than both of you, but it is it has sort of been at the end of the qualifying series for many, many, many years. It, it's been often the first stop on the Vans Triple Crown, which also has included Sunset Beach and Pipeline. And it, it's considered one of the best big high performance waves on the planet. So right-hander, it comes out of deep water next to the Haleiwa Harbor. And yeah, it is terrifying when it's big because it's moving everyone around this very broad lineup. And as you pointed out, that toilet bowl end section at the end, Hendo, is is very aggressive. It's very shallow. But the surfers, especially the surfers that are, are going to be competing in it, always make it look really, really easy. You know, taking a look at the rankings right now, and I'll start with you, Dan, and I'll I'll put you on the men's rankings. And we, we have we have one through fifteen in our document. Who do you think is going to perform best if you had to pick two surfers from these top 15 at Haleiwa? Let's just say it's going to be in the six to eight foot range because we like seeing good waves. All right. Well, I'm going to choose the easiest one, which is Zeke. I feel like he's got to be the favorite. He's the ultimate surfer in more (laughs) ways than one. Um, I'm actually so stoked that Zeke's back, but I think Zeke will do great. I also, just looking at the top 12, I'd say Liam O'Brien. He's he's from West Mm -hmm. Oz, right? He's used to big, gnarly scary waves so maybe he'll liam's from liam's from uh burley heads gold coast oh darn but he's been to west oz that's helpful i feel like i he, maybe he was a wild card <laughs> at marks and that's why he, wa- he was yeah he got a bunch yeah. of ct wild cards this all right year. well i'm gonna stick with him then because he's been <laughs> you know competing choice. on the C- cta in west oz so 
And what about on the what about on the women's side? We've got the top eight reflected, both both above and below the cut line. Who do you, who who's your picks? Pick two. Oh, can I just pick one that I'm really rooting for, and that's Coco. I feel like maybe she's the favorite out there too because she has experience there. Maybe more. I have no idea who has experience out there, but I'm rooting so hard for Coco that I really want her to do well, and I hope that she does. She'd have a lot of experience. Okay, Dan, you get to popcorn the next person to to set their picks. Hmm, Lindsay. We All got. right, two two from the men, two from the women. Go for it, Lindsay. Okay, well, I'll steal Dan's answer. It's definitely going to be Zeke. And then also from the men, yeah, I don't know. I think that Griffin might come out swinging there just because he's sort of gotten a taste of winning an event and how exciting that would be. For the women, again, I'm aligned around Coco. I think that she'll be interesting to watch. It's just sort of all coming down to this event for her. So I think it'll be a really exciting competition to watch her. And I think that she has a little bit more power in her. I think that the waves in Europe are a bit trickier. And so we'll see how she performs. And then Again, coming off her last win, Brisa, I mean, you know, she was born in Costa Rica, but she lived in Hawaii for so much of her life that she definitely has, you know, strong advantage there. It'll be fun to watch. I like it. And Griffin's an interesting one too, right? Because he's already qualified on the CT. He doesn't actually need to surf in Haleiwa, but all the championship tour surfers are automatically seeded into the Challenger Series. And I do think Griffin... Kanoa, who's currently leading the Challenger Series rankings, and a number of them are going to turn up and surf this event because it's it's just a little bit of like tool sharpening ahead of the start of the championship tour season at the end of January, which is only a couple months out. Ooh, let's hear from Alejandra. <laughs> All right. Um, I think, I mean, I did see the ultimate surfer, and I think Zeke... Um, would be my front runner, but I really love that I see Luca Messinas on there. Um, I would love to see him keep rising and Joao, um, as well as Carlos Munoz from Costa Rica. So those folks have my total admiration for where they're at. And I think, uh, as far as the women, the women, Brisa for sure, just super powerful surfer. I like it. That's, that's great. Colombian scout answer for South America. It's perfect. I'm just going to take everyone else's answers because I was thinking the same thing, which is Zeke. And I think Zeke is really good and um, he's absolutely proven his talent, not that he needs to. Brissa obviously charges everywhere. Um, I really want one of the younger women to surprise us. And I don't even think it would be that much of a surprise if one of them were to win it all. Because I think that a lot of them seem like super fearless. And so we might be under, um, you know, under qualifying them a little bit. It's fair. Yeah. Last but not least, uh, I was going to say a lot of the similar ones, but I'll just be different because I'm a weird guy. So I'll just say the opposite. But um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say Emai Kalani DeVault. I was really impressed with his surfing last year and this year. When I look back at the Triple Crown last year and think about all the news feeds that I did, his name always came up for one of the local guys. He's really good at Haliva. And as much as I want to say San Diego boy, uh, Jake Marshall, I'm going to go with Nat Young. From Santa Cruz, another California kid, I think his backhand is super electric and he has the experience. So to see him back on tour, 
Uh, we haven't seen him on the road for a long time. I think it would bring some good energy, and uh, I've been loving the behind-the-scenes with him and Seabass and some of the other guys. Uh, as far as the women go, I too, I think Coco like is so experienced like all over the North Shore, and I remember back when she was qualifying at the age of 17, I think it was, her boosting this like air during a final. I think Carissa was in the final and Lane as well. I always remember her surfing at Haliva very well. So I'm rooting for Coco. And I too think that Brissa has like a great chance and Gabrielle O'Brien. I mean, I think it'll be fun. I'm excited to see there's so much history there and to have Haliva be like the final event rather than the first of three, which as much as I miss Triple Crown, I think Haliva is definitely a proving ground when it comes to like getting to that next level to the CT, having it being that final boss. Love it. Dave, is everyone like there yet? Like oh. in Hawaii, kind of like training or getting ready? I mean, I feel like this the Challenger series went so fast, but now they have like a month to kind of prepare, which... It, it's a good question. You, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think you'd probably have a mix of people that are turning up. You know, the Pacific Northwest has opened up. Um, waves are coming. Um, waves are already there in Hawaii. Um, so it's a good place for people to train. I know a few folks on the CT that have gone over for a few swells already just to kind of take advantage. But also, just because of COVID and the challenges with traveling, you have people kind of scattered to the four winds at the moment. I, I know that a bunch of Australians who, because Australia has been very hard to get back to, took an extended time in in Europe and have been have been working through that. And uh, I'm sure a lot of other people, just because they were on the road for a bit, uh, took advantage to get home uh, in the weeks before they head over to Hawaii for this last event. Gotcha. All right. Well, the Haleiwa Challenger Series event will start on November 26th, and everything is on the line in determining who will be next on the championship tour in 2022. The event will be streamed live at worldsurfleague.com. Do not miss it. Um, we've got uh, one more juicy topic as well as our listener questions, but we'll take one more quick break to get another word in from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Hey, I hear you think podcasts are all about true crime, huh? Well, wise guy, the iHeartRadio app's got all kinds of podcasts. We got stuff you should know and stuff they don't want you to know. We got Bobby Bones, Big Boy, and Lou Later. We got SpongeBob Binge Pants and Exotic Erotic Storytime. We got Doughboys, Two Dudes in a Kitchen, Green Eggs and Dan. Hey, we got ElfQuest. We got podcasts for everything on the iHeartRadio app for free. If you don't download that, well, that's not just a true crime, my friend. That's criminal. Manduka was founded in 1997 with the simple idea that a better yoga mat could make a world of difference. For generations, Manduka has revolutionized the yoga space by providing purposely crafted products that enable a more joyful practice, whatever that looks like for you. The collaboration between Manduka and Jerry Lopez honors Jerry's profound dedication to both surfing and yoga disciplines. The limited edition collection showcases Jerry's signature camouflage print inspired by his surfboards. It fuses his iconic surf style with Manduka's commitment to quality and sustainability, offering everyone a unique expression of their practice. We all know that having the right gear is essential and a yoga mat is no different. Feel the benefits of yoga with Manduka's soulfully engineered, eco-friendly products designed to inspire your practice wherever you go. The Manduka and Jerry Lopez collection want to inspire you to practice yoga however you choose to. And from now until June 10th, you will get 15% 
off of all products when you visit manduka.com with the code THELINEUP15. That's manduka.com, code THELINEUP1515. All right, so we're coming back from break and we introduced Alejandra at the top of the episode and highlighted that she's a relatively new member to the WSL, working with WSL Pure. One of the major projects that we are continuing with is the WSL's We Are One Ocean campaign. And now it includes a United Nations biodiversity takeover. Alejandra, can you explain the background for We Are One Oceans and and how that's going to uh, be applied to the UN biodiversity takeover? Yeah, so first I wanted to give a shout out to John and Emily who have really spearheaded the continuity of PURE. So just as a background for folks, PURE stands for Protecting, Understanding, and Respecting the Environment, and PURE is the nonprofit of the WSL. So the idea here is to inspire, um, learn as a company, help educate and empower folks to take the spearhead of ocean protection. So um, this is starting with the global surf community and WSL Pure is specifically focused in the climate crisis, plastic pollution and ocean health. So for the UN takeover, we have a super unique opportunity to connect with a global audience. Um, and if folks would like to follow the UN biodiversity account, we'll begin taking it over on November 8th. Um, so as a part of a global community as surfers, and as ocean lovers, um, the ocean is, from what we all know, it's more than what we see on the surfers. On the surface, it's more than just the waves. For the WSL, it's the arena, it's the office, it's the inspiration. So all of the really romantic parts of surfing is like what I would love to help protect. So for the We Are One Ocean campaign and taking over the UN Biodiversity um, IG account is to help inspire the global community and the global surf community to protect and conserve our one ocean. Um, this has been a year long campaign all throughout 2021. And this is leading up to the UN Convention on Biological Diversity. Um, so with this, we're calling on world leaders to adopt a target of the 2021 United um, Nations Convention on Biological Diversity to protect and conserve at least 30% of the global ocean by 2030. Um, So our hope is that world leaders are really inclined and driven by science and facts um, and lead this initiative by creating an inclusive process that really embraces a lot of the stakeholders and the communities that are really overburdened by um, climate change. um, And it considers the ocean's value to the the peoples of every nation. You know, it's interesting because Pure as a program was first launched, I think back in 2014 in conjunction with uh, Columbia Universities. And it's evolved quite a lot um, since since it was first launched. I, I want to throw to Kim and Lindsay just for a minute because you both work very, very closely on these programs and in multiple iterations. You know, what are your kind of thoughts on how the programs evolved just in the time that you've worked at the WSL and and do you think it's heading in the right direction in terms of being, you know, focused and effective? Yeah, I mean, I think that 
Exactly. Like there has been an evolution since I've been here. I think that when you think about this idea that Pure is the nonprofit branch of the WSL, even that concept is a little foreign. And I think that going through the evolution of like, what does that mean? And what should that mean? And who should it mean what for? I think that to, you know, the point that Alejandra just made around the campaign to oversimplify it completely, there is this idea that World Surf League's vested interest in the ocean should be protecting it so that it can preserve the future of our sport. And I think that framing it in that way really helps us to sort of stay in our lanes. You know, there's this idea that there are so many sort of problems and issues in the world, but you should only really help with the ones that you know how to, or else you might be inadvertently causing harm. And so this idea that there's been this evolution of bringing in knowledge and expanding the team and bringing in someone like Alejandra. And, you know, she mentioned Emily Hofer and John Suhar have spent so much time being thoughtful about what is our intention here. I 100% think that it's moving in the right direction. And it's something that's really proud to have at the company. We've talked about this idea of What are the parallels with other leagues? Because sometimes I think that perhaps to a fault, we do put ourselves in the box of we are a sports league. In other conversations, we, of course, are much more dynamic. But when you do think of it in that framework, it's like, what are the other leagues doing? And you think of NBA Cares and programs like that. But what it comes down to is no other leagues are doing what we are doing at the level that we're doing. And that is what's so impressive about it. Kim? Um, I agree with everything Lindsay said, as always. Beautiful words from Linz. Yeah, agree that I think we're headed in the right direction. We're staying in our lane. Um, we're working on something that we're really passionate about. And I think that we are at a place where we're working with um, organizations and communities that are even closer than we are. Um, I know that there are, you know, the the grantees that Pierre sort of works with every year who are actually doing the work in the communities that we enter, but we're not a part of. And I think that that's another piece that's really important to not be this sort of like large hand that comes in and meddles in, in communities that we're not a part of. You know, we enter into a lot of spaces that we like to surf at, but we don't, um, you know, we don't call it home. And so I do think that that's a really important and really beautiful thing that Pierre has sort of opened up, um, which is working with the communities um, and the actual stewards um, of the land and the seas um, at the places that we enjoy visiting. Um, and so I think that, that um, that's the part of Pierre that I feel most excited about is um, getting involved with, with those people who are doing the work really hyper-locally. I think those are I think those are really good points because I I do remember sort of in its infancy, there was a general call to like, well, WSL is going to save the ocean, you know, and it's like, well, are we like, I don't know if that's our, what we're good at. I mean, how, how can we kind of contribute collectively to improving ocean health? And I think that sort of coincided with the WSL understanding what it is, you know, in the sense of we're a platform and our, 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 our opportunity is just audience and how can we amplify the work that others are doing in this space who are subject matter experts and and really make a difference and yeah it's something that it makes sense in hindsight but I think just sort of orbiting it for those first few years just understanding the competition in the ecology space of all these programs are looking to kind of get their foot in the door or or looking to take credit for arguably what they're doing but 
it also sort of rubbed up against other programs, ours included in the past, where it was like, well, no, we're doing this, not you. And I think that just hadn't, I think that was just an identity thing we had to work through. And I feel like we've gotten so much better at that because we actually understand how to, how to help in a really positive way. And none of the, none of the previous attempts were, were misplaced intentions. It was just sort of identifying what we can, what we can really do. And I think this UN biodiversity takeover is just another example of that. Um, going back to Alejandra, where can people kind of find out more about this and, and participate if they want to in, in this takeover? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first would be to follow UN Biodiversity account on Instagram. And it's literally, that's the name, that's the handle, UN Biodiversity, and then WSL Pure. Um, so we'll be taking over from our main channel, from the WSL channel. But starting November 8th, we'll begin the, the takeover so yeah, and more on weareoneocean.org as well. We'll have um, plenty of information on there. And we'll also be delivering our petition um, throughout the, the Instagram takeover. But yeah, I've wanted to add on something that you just said, Dave, on investing in local communities. And one of the things that really attracted me to work for the WSL was that notion of the WSL is not an expert. The WSL is using its platform to really elevate um, the communities that know what their problems are, they know what their solutions are, and we just come in and help. So that was really attractive to me when I came in because I, I am from a zone where there's folks that come in and say, you got to do this. And it's like, no, we don't, we don't really know. You don't really know what we need. We know what we need. And we just need a platform or funding to really get these programs through. So that's something that I'm really, really excited about to meet more of the grantees and focus the, the program into restoration and conservation and community development. So Well said, and we're fortunate to have you. So everyone, make sure you check out weareoneocean.org for more information. And we look forward to that UN takeover. As we do with every episode, but particularly the break room episodes, we we canvass the Instagram community for questions and everyone always lights up for for these installments because I feel like they actually get to ask the organization questions and, and we're generally pretty candid, I think. So I'm going to hand over to uh, producer extraordinaire Hendo Bayer uh, to go through the questions. Hendo, take it away. Cool. Thanks, Dave. And, uh, and thanks, Alejandro. It's great to hear all about that. If you guys want to join the conversation here on the lineup pod, follow us on Instagram at the lineup pod and send us your questions. First up is from at Magister. Do you think Julian Wilson and Jack Freestone, etc., will return to surfing after quarantine is up? Lindsay and Dave, what do you think? I will come in with my hot take and then Dave can say maybe a more realistic version. I mean, I think this is an interesting question. And I think that there is this notion in some endemic outlets and sort of this kind of, I don't know if it's like a joke over the last couple of months of like, there are no professional surfers left. And of course, that is so funny, you know, as we contrast it with everything we've just been saying, where the breadth and the talent of professional surfers is likely bigger than ever. So it's just this idea, especially where they say, you know, they call out Jack Freestone and they call out Julian Wilson, but then they say, et cetera. When in reality, there's like, three other people that aren't coming back, but it's just this idea of like, no one's coming back. None of the old guys are here. And so I don't know. I think people are blowing it a little bit out of proportion to the specific question though. I feel like Jack Freestone, he'll come back after the rip curl deal is over. 
really making a statement with the league on that one. And then Julian Wilson, I don't think he'll come back. I think that he will focus on his family and future ventures. But I think that it's important to say too that just because you're not on tour doesn't mean that you're not a surfer. And there is always, especially through the Challenger Series and the new way that we have a year-long season, they could very easily come back to the tour, I would say, if they wanted to. Yeah, I think that's pretty well said. I mean, the only things I'd add is that you know, as we kind of said before, like surfing is, it's generational and and competing at the very top is generational. At some point it cycles. And I know that we, we probably don't necessarily believe that because we have someone like Callie Slater, who's been so dominant for so long and he's going to be turning 50 in February. So there is a bit of a Peter Pan complex to professional surfing at the elite level. I also think that you know, the expectation management for both of these surfers that were named, you know, Julian Wilson's 32, Jack Freestone's 29, they were both heralded as sort of world champs, you know, as so many surfers that make it to the championship tour are. Um, you could argue that Julian Wilson is one of a, a very, very small group of the most marketed and hype surfers in the history of the sport just because of the time that he came in. Same with Jack, two-time uh, world junior champion, um, great sort of free surfing um, pedigree. And highly, highly marketable, both of them. And I, I think the Overton window kind of shifts when that happens, right? Because Julian Wilson, both Julian and Jack had fantastic careers. Julian in particular, pipe master, triple crown winner, like winner of multiple CTs. He just never kind of put together the expected title run that everyone had kind of put on his shoulders for years and years and years and and it's a little bit unfair to say that, oh, like they didn't reach their potential because in a lot of ways they maybe surpassed their potential. I just think it it didn't necessarily match the hype that, that had preceded them. I think in both their cases too, our broad tours and competition framework is restabilizing. And I think we'll see sort of a more fuller flight of it in 22 and beyond. As you said, like they're both very, very talented. And, and even in speaking to Julian's camp, like he's interested in continuing to compete. But I do think he wanted to take this time to be with his young family. You may see him spark up at, at sort of regional QS events close to home and, and see how he goes. It wouldn't shock me if we saw him at the Snapper Rocks Challenger Series event in 2022. Mm. Good points by all. It's not goodbye. It's all see you later <laughs> or see you around. Um, all right, another question from at Kurt underscore P5 and at South Coast David. What is your biggest prediction for the 2022 season and what are you most excited about? Dan, let's let's let it rip. Okay, things I'm most excited about, there's a couple. The first is the cut line because I think it's going to be juicy and there's going to be a lot of drama and it's going to be like almost like two final five races kind of. Like we'll have the one at the end, but this that race at uh, Mark's is going to be wild. Um, the second is now that John's coming back, but Gabe has one more title than he does. I'm very excited to see them go at it as well as Carissa now with five chasing Steph with seven, both of them. I just, especially John and Gabe there. I, I feel like they're so tied together in their kind of career and their legacies that like, I hope John's like extra inspired to get his third. And I hope that Carissa is like still gunning for, for the record because I feel like she could do it. Um, my biggest prediction, ooh, I'm going to say that a surfer in the final five that is not ranked number one will win the title. Oh, that's a good one, Dan. Oh. We didn't see it this year, and I'm kind of glad we didn't see it. I wanted the number ones to win, but I'm, I do want, I want to see an upset. 
and I want to see just kind of how people react and how it's how it goes over. So, wait, wait. Um, if you're gonna put your name to this, what number are we talking? Two, three, four, or five? Who's winning? I like the three. I thought I thought the the third spot was a nice middle ground where you get some run up and you get in the groove, and then you but but you're not fully burnt by the time you get to the final. Um, so I'll say number three. Someone who is number three will win the title this year. We'll get the product people to fix that on the rankings. It'll just go one, two, Willin, four, five, yeah. six, seven. Yes. Yeah. We'll call Perfect. it the Willin spot. I like it. Yeah. It's good. Interesting. Any other excitement or predictions? Uh, Kim, what are you thinking? Oh, gosh, thanks. Um, <laughs> I am most excited about the fact that the men and women are surfing all the same events. Um, I think that that is, it's never happened before. And I'm really excited about that. I think it obviously, open up a huge can of worms to a lot of men who see the women as inferior surfers. And, but I think that gives us an opportunity to stop comparing the men to the women as default as what is good, because that's just shouldn't be the way the world works, but unfortunately it is. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, and also just because I love to watch women and I think there's going to be a really, really, really interesting mix of women, um, on tour this year, especially like we talked about earlier, um, this sort of younger generation of surfers who absolutely rip, um, and who seem really confident and really stable coming in and sort of mixing things up. And to Dan's point, I predict that maybe it's not going to be anyone we think it's going to be maybe the top five will look way different um i think because of that um because i think that this older generation of surfers might be sort of stunned by the um by the performances of of some of the younger younger surfers or the surfers who just haven't been on tour as long so yeah cool excitement or predictions alejandra oh i'm super excited kim i think you touched on a really exciting point for me is that we'll all be in the same playing field. And that's always like, we've always been in the ocean as women and the stakes are the same. Um, so it's really exciting to see women and men going to a contest at the same locations. Um, so for the women, I would really personally love to see Jen DeFay. Um, her surfing is so strong. I really admire and love watching her surf. And I think she's just like super close to a world title and she's really hungry um to win so that's really exciting and for the men there's so much yeah there's i i honestly can't give an opinion on that there's so much talent on both sides but i yeah i can't really put a name i think morgan siblick would be really exciting to just continue to see move up cool lindsay well, I think that um, first I'll say that it's funny because we've established I work in marketing. And so when I read the question, I think that my internal <laughs> responses were much different. And then I heard Dan's answer and I was like, oh, it's like, you know, predictions for who's going to win and who's going to lose. So on that, I will say when he brought up Steph, I've decided I'm giving Steph one more year to impress me. I was drinking the Steph Kool-Aid for a little bit, and as you guys remember, had predicted her to um, win the finals. She really disappointed me, but if you go on over to worldsurfleague.com, <laughs> there is an article where she says she's really fired up for the new season, so I'll believe it when I see it. I think that will be exciting, but then where my mind first went is from the fan-facing lens. Like I don't think the fans are ready. 
I don't think us internally are ready for next year. It's just such a packed year and such a packed calendar. And it sounds cheesy to say that, but I feel like we can't impress enough how exciting it's going to be. To It's like we kick off the season. Of, of course, you know, the events don't span the entire window, but there's no break in between the window from pipe to sunset. And then it's like a week later, freaking Portugal. Like, are you kidding me? And so it's like you go through the season. It's super exciting. Then we have eight challenger series events and intermixed with that we have you know this idea we've talked about the regional events are getting stronger the juniors it's really going to start trickling in of course we've said that will take more time but there's just so much next year that I mean I don't want to be too crazy but I think the fans might even be happy next year <laughs> impossible that's a crazy prediction <laughs> yeah huge, that's why I can. huge huge tone statement. it down <laughs> I like it, Dave. Thought? Uh, I don't. I don't know if I think this is going to happen, but I'll throw it out there. I think at least one top five surfer is not going to make the mid-year cut. Ooh! Damn. Wow, he's bold. Just so all ten of them can like sweat it at night and see where that goes. <laughs> but I, I. But a safer prediction. I do think we're going to see the best pipeline waves we've seen for the championship tour event in a long long time i'm really excited mm. about the new window at the end of january early february um it's really good for northwest wells um and with more west in it so i'm excited about that too and i'm also excited about um garagegon glan coming back on tour ah, i yeah. i never i never uh i've never been um but i also never really got to see it because it it was a little bit pre webcast so i'm just excited to see that wave and see the world's best surfers on it um he reminded me of another thing that i'm excited about <laughs> going off of how we've established this is going to be the most exciting season ever the mid-season cut that's going to be crazy and not only is it going to be crazy for tour i think that again it's going to be it's really cool for the fans in the sense of I think that we'll be able like, what do those surfers do if they don't make the cut? And of course, we haven't experienced it yet. We don't know. But I think there will be a lot of good content out there of them like free surfing, etc. There will be a lot of talent in the water outside of contests as well. So I think it just sort of even just the idea of the surfing world next year. Extra crazy. Anyway, now I'll, I'll let you predict something, Hendo. It's a good note. I like that, Lindsay. Thanks. Yeah, I like it too. Well, I was going to say Dave took my uh, excitement as well because being the goofy footer I am and watching like the 98 Quicksilver G-Land Pro is like one of my favorite movies of all time. I think there was like some pretty classic music in it. I just remember like Rob Machado and Kelly looking at this wave and being like, oh my gosh, that thing is crazy. So I'm excited for that to come back, and I pray to the nerdbot gods that I maybe get to go in the jungle with the monkeys and the lions and work the event. You never know. We'll see. But uh, I really think a prediction there would be that I think Tatiana will like that will favor her there. I was really impressed with her showing at the WSL finals and how much she's progressed. And she is a tube hunter. Like she is really good at barrels. I remember her getting like a high nine or a ten in France one year, and I really think she'll do pretty well at GLAN. So. Looking forward to that event with much anticipation. All right. Well, that's some exciting and some nice predictions there. We got another question from at Sophia.Barnard. Have you all considered discussing substance abuse slash mental health within the community? Uh, Kim and Dave, you guys want to answer that? Yeah. I have so many thoughts on this, and so anyone please cut me off if I go long. First, my first point, 
um, is that this comes up a lot on in Dave's conversations um, across the lineup. Um, I know that's the reason Carissa was planning on taking 2020 off before COVID. Um, Sage talks about body issues. You know, it's there, there's been so many instances where it's been discussed. And I think it sort of always is in the back of our minds because of Andy. Um, and I think that that's also something that's come up on the podcast a lot. Um, and so I think that surfing is, you know, some people in surfing are having those conversations. And I think that Dave is a perfect person to look to for those right now. I think my second of probably four points is that if you're listening to this podcast, then you are the community, then you're a part of this community. And I think that it's important to acknowledge that um, these conversations can happen outside of institutions like the WSL. Um, it's really important that they happen inside of your community also, um, whatever that looks like. It's not just a professional athlete issue. It's a human issue. Third is that I think on the institutional side, I think that um, largely surfing brands, sponsors, brands and sponsors, um, endemic media and leagues have worked um, maybe against it or have maybe covered some of it up because it's never been great, sort of a great look in the past. But I do think that that's sort of making a change. Um, and hopefully it won't have to be sort of athletes putting their entire careers on the line to advocate for themselves anymore. Um, hopefully it can be sort of leagues taking, um, taking measures to ensure that people don't have to do that to sort of put their entire career on the line in order to, you know, essentially save their lives. Fourth and final point being <laughs> that I've thought about this tons, um, Third and final point being that I think that there, there's a funny tension in surfing, um, which is that the sort of idea of surfing is that like mental illness couldn't possibly be a part of this like really laid back, sexy um, sort of sport that's based in like this, um, you know, you like live in a van and you're smiling all the time and you're sort of sunburned. Um, but it's not, you know, that's <laughs> that's not really the reality of the situation. The reality is that we're just humans surfing and these types of issues come up and there's no shame around being a surfer um, and a human being with um, mental health struggles. So that's my soapbox, Dave. Yeah, I don't know if I can do much better than that. I mean, I, I think, yeah, it's hard to say because we're so entrenched in the surfing community, but I kind of think that conversations around substance abuse and mental health are happening everywhere in all communities and, and probably even more so after the last couple of years. And yeah, it, it comes up on this podcast a lot. It came up in last week's episode with Jamie Brissick and, and we were talking about the Matt Archibald documentary that Bill Ballard did years and years ago. And Matt was kind of a, a proto version of Andy in a way that he was, um, he, he lived pretty fast and loose for a period of time. He was this amazing transformative surfer. And there's a comment in the film that says, you know, Matt was a marketing manager's dream, but a team manager's nightmare. And it, it to me, it really kind of encapsulates this tension point in surfing, right? Because it's a, a culture and a community that fancies itself on the fringe um, of society in a lot of ways, but then has this, the institutions built on top of it have this weird insecurity of being accepted by the mainstream. And for, for decades, that manifested, as, as you pointed out, Kim, in sort of covering up 
um, substance abuse issues or or disregarding mental health in the sense of like, well, how do we market the dream while acknowledging the nightmare? It's like, but that's just sort of life and humanity. And I, I think that that I think that that tension and that paradox for a number of years did a lot of harm. And I, I kind of like to think that in addressing it, we're moving to a place where we can be better balanced and honest about it. But yeah, I mean, it, it is claimed a huge amount of victims. I don't, I, I'll stop short of saying disproportionate because I don't know compared to other communities, but it, it seems very high um, in surfing. And I, I don't have all the reasons or answers why, but I think the more people can talk about it and the more people can address it and the more people can treat others with humanity in dealing with it, whether they're elite level professional surfers, or just someone that you know at your beach, I think it's, I think it's really important. Agreed. And thank you both for your responses there. Um, all right. Flipping the uh, script a little bit. We have a new question from at Noah Purington. Will WSL join the metaverse? Lindsay, what do you think? Interesting question. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Real, what's the metaverse? Sorry. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg's like new thing, isn't I'm it? I'm glad that you or said that, Hendo, new... because Mark Zuckerberg did not invent the metaverse, but that's why it's in like the zeitgeist right now because Mark Zuckerberg oh, okay. is talking about it. I'm actually like, I'm not the expert on this subject, so I don't know, but it was in, uh, what's the author? Uh, not Ray Bradbury, but it was in someone's like sci-fi book a long time ago, and that's where the idea came up. But the idea of the metaverse, I think, think, again, not an expert, is simply put, it's linked to this idea of if you think of Web 3.0, which is if we are currently all existing in the technological landscape of Web 2.0, the next lens of this would be going to Web 3.0, where it's much more AI and it's machine learning driven. And so it's basically like we all want, there are all those jokes around how if you looked at movies looking at the future, it would say like, oh, in 2020, there were supposed to be flying cars. I think that it's all, it's just moving into the space of what is technologically forward and when you think of that, there's this idea of having, um, you know, AR and virtual reality and a more immersive experience for people. So it depends the lens of the question that you're asking of is WSL. Good? Sorry, I know we should just cut this all out, by the way. This is um, great. This is, no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, I'm, I think this was the question. You're answering the question. I don't think this is unrelated to I don't think this is unrelated to mental health either. It sounds horrifying. So. Yeah, perfect segue. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So like press I'll delete. There's so yeah, many right. layers to this question. Um, but then there's this added thing of Mark Zuckerberg and like what kind of person is he and what is he truly trying to create? So it's like, is World Surf League gonna join this thing that's controlled by one crazy person? I'd like to say no, never. And like, as Dave likes to say, you know, surfing in general is very anti-institutional. I think that maybe the league has learned that it would be a bad idea to buy into institutions like that, but that's not for me to decide. However, I will say there is this other layer here around like technological advancement and how can like World Surf League as a league tap into some of those tools. Like I would love if we were more like technologically advanced and able to service our product to fans in a way that's more dynamic. Um, so in that lens, I think there's like opportunity, but not in the way that this question's being asked. It's fair to say there's a bit of a gap between what the WSL currently offers from a tech standpoint and the idea that I've just learned about in the metaverse. So we can maybe <laughs> find like a happy medium in there. 
I'm so confused. I think I misinterpreted the question because I thought Facebook now is named Meta. So I thought they're asking, are we going to join that platform? I was probably totally wrong. I liked your explanation way better. (laughs) I guess I don't really know either what they meant by the question, but. I I like your answer, Lindsay. I'm all for it. (laughs) Yeah, we're already on Facebook. Like us if you haven't already. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, or 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 tell us to leave Facebook. We're good with that too. Yeah, we can leave too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we got another question from at K Safi. Uh, what was your most entertaining interview yet, Dave? I don't know. Um, I I enjoy them all. Um, no, I think um, I I really like the conversation with uh, Eski Britain. I thought that was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I think she, if you haven't listened to it, I think people should go check that out. But yeah, I mean, Tyler Wright, Connor O'Leary, Mick Fanning, Mick Carroll, last week's episode with Jamie Brissick, I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoy, I enjoy all of them. If, uh, if I have enough time and space to think about like, well, what do we really want to talk about and how is it less an interview, more a conversation and how is it something where we're going to get something deep out of the person and everyone's so different. They're all, I enjoy all of them. But yeah, those ones, if I have to name a few of them, those are in there for sure. Cool. Yeah, those are all favorites too. Uh, Another question from at Corey James Walker. Does the equal pay mean both men's and women's winners receive equal prize money? Or is the prize money a pool split between the 34 men and 18 women? Dave, do you know about that one? I do. Um, yeah. So initially, I want to say 2014 is when prize money parity came into play. And that's when the men and women received the same average prize per person um, per event. Now, there's the men's fields are 36 men and the women's fields are 18 women. So the actual prize pools were the purses totals were different, um, which manifested in sort of different um, allocations for placing. So the men's first place got a different size check than women's first place. And so a couple of years ago, we evolved that to pay equality. So now every placing on the men's and women's tours receives the same amount. So if you're first place on the men's and first place on the women's at an event, you guys receive the same amount all the way down the line. On this, um, just to continue that, I'm sure that everyone remembers all of our listeners. Our last break room episode, I had to miss the second half of it. And then when I was listening to it back, there was a listener question around the big checks and everyone on here sort of fumbled the bag. I remember slacking afterwards like, no, you guys re-record. You missed the answer. Um, I just think I think this is a really interesting question. And I'm always the person who's like the information should be out there. People ask about prize money a lot. And it is on the website. It's not hidden. So if you wanted to go and like look at even on the Challenger Series level, go to our event pages, it's listed under a tab that says prizes and you can see sort of like the levels. I do think that that's an interesting part of the sport that we put out that information, might as well take a look at it. And then if you're curious, it does, you know, it shows like the man's prize is the same as the woman's, et cetera. I'll go check that out. Thank you. Last question is from at Kyle James Black. Who is the best Canadian surfer? Kim and Dave, I think you guys know a few. And and anyone else here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm a huge Hannah Scott fan. She's a really, really rad surfer who's on the Vans team. Um, I think she's from Vancouver, but she rips and seems really rad. 
That's a good answer. I think most, I think I've, I've never been, but I'm dying to go to Tofino, which is in Vancouver. Me too. It sounds like there's this amazing little community up there. Um, you know, when I was growing up, it was the Brewweiler brothers, Sepp and Rafe, who really sort of, I think were sort of godfathers of at least modern surfing up in that community and pioneered a ton of amazing waves there. And when I started working at the ASP, there was a gentleman by the name of Peter DeVries, which I didn't get was like a dune name from like dune cannon from Peter DeVries. I don't know if his parents knew that, but it's a cool coincidence either way. Peter was unbelievable. Like he would turn up at these QS events. He rode for Hurley and he's from like, you know, a place where you'd wear five, six, seven millimeter wetsuits, like really thick wetsuits. And I always thought that it was a little bit like a baseball player where they're warming up with the bat and they have the donut on there, the weight, and then they take the weight off and their like swing is like so much faster. He looked like he was surfing at light speed power. Anytime he'd come to like lowers for the QS event where he was basically in like board shorts <laughs> compared to everybody else. So I thought Peter was one of the best guys um, I ever saw come out of Canada. And then even, you know, like... Uh, Noah Cohen, who's the Rip Curl team manager here in the U.S., he's a great surfer. He came he came from the same community. Like it's a, it's a rad community up there. I'd love to get up there and check out check it out in person. Speaking of Tofino, there's a women surf contest there every year called Queen of the Peak, and it seems pretty cool. It's not ours though, so maybe shouldn't plug it. But yeah, <laughs> we're, we're equal opportunists for opportunities. So I think that's good. That's rad. Right. Friend of the pod, Leah Dawson, I think maybe won or competes probably every year because she's incredible. But yeah, she is a friend of yeah. the pod. We should definitely pump that yeah. event up. She's definitely a friend of the pod. Yeah. Legend. Cool. Well, I, I think that wraps it, right, Hendo? Those are the Instagram questions. Yeah. Thanks for all your questions. We love getting them once again at the lineup pod on Instagram. Send them in for this episode or future episodes. We're always posting on our story and we love the questions for all of our guests. So thank you to the community. We appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for joining back for the break room. Alejandra, thank you for joining us today. We hope you come back next time. And uh, yeah, I think we got one more break room before the year's over. So we'll see everyone before 2022. Thank you guys. So that's it. That's another episode of The Lineup's Break Room. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The Lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Kumeyaay Native American people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. 